This podcast is to discuss meaningful topics and issues from the lens of two Khmeragin sisters and other diverse community leaders. Today's topic is You Are More Than Your Stereotype with Daryl Nelson II. Welcome back to our podcast. We are your two Khmeragin sisters, Melissa and Jasmine. And today we have a special guest joining us. I met him through Syracuse University, and we took marketing analytics together. Daryl L. Nelson II is a data scientist with experience in power amplifiers, flash memory, and semiconductor equipment. He's currently working on modeling microfabrication processes. Daryl identifies as African-American and is an ADOS, that stands for American Descendant of Slavery which I'll let him explain a little bit more about this. Daryl was born in Panorama City, California, which is located in Los Angeles County. He's also a tutor, mentor, and health enthusiast. He loves playing flag football and spending time with his family. Daryl, welcome. It's so great to see you. And how are you? Can you say hi to our listeners? Um, Why, hello, everyone. I'm glad to be on the podcast. Thank you so much, uh, Melissa and Jasmine, for having me on. Um, and yeah, hopefully I'm actually able to contribute something. So oh, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Everyone always has something really unique to share. So we're mm-hmm. excited to have you on today. And mm-hmm. I've got to say, like, we haven't seen each other for, I think, over a year. And yeah, it's been a long time. Yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> the class we took together was so fun. That has got to be one of my favorite classes um, in the MBA program. And I, I'm so glad that I was teamed up with you because mm-hmm. I've learned a lot from you. Oh, well, well, thank you. I mean, actually, I learned a lot from from you, too. And that group was that group was pretty fun. We didn't yeah. have anyone that was pretty, um, you know, slacking or anything. So everything ran pretty smoothly. So it was and I, de- I definitely enjoyed that. Yeah. And the presentation was a lot of fun. <laughs> that, yeah, I know. You know, most teams uh, don't click like that, like where we all equally contribute. So mm-hmm. we really lucked out. And I want you to introduce you to my sister, Hi, Jasmine. I'm Jasmine. Hello, Jasmine. Nice to meet Hi. you. I know the MBA program was really stressful, like seeing it from the sister side, seeing mm-hmm. how Melissa was going through it. Um, and I'm so excited to meet you. Thank you for submitting your feature on our website. And that's how I got to know you more. And I'm glad that we can share more of your story today. Okay, well, cool. Yeah, it's nice to meet you too. And I think you guys, what you guys are doing with this podcast is, is really awesome. It's nice to hear like, all the different stories and backgrounds and um, really just reminds me of just how, how close we really are, even though people come from different cultures, you know, we kind of all experience and we all go through the same things, you know, Rather, it's like, you know, strict parenting or, you know, trying to fit in and things like that. It kind of, you know, it, it transcends different, you know, nationalities. So I definitely appreciate this podcast. Thank you, Daryl. Thank you. And I agree. Even though we look different, there are some common grounds that we can find. And through conversation, it's also nice to connect this way when, mm-hmm. like, we're so used to texting and just, you know, asking people, how are you, but not really caring about it, you know? So it's nice to have a conversation through the podcast and I'm excited for listeners to learn more about you today. Daryl, I have like a lot of questions, but basically we want to learn more about who you are Mm -hmm. and on your features, you mentioned challenges that you faced when you were in school growing up Mm -hmm. and how you've grown into your identity and how your mom has changed your life. So, but we're wondering how you grew up in a single parent household in a lower middle class neighborhood. Can you tell us more about how you grew up, your relationship with your mom and how she shaped you into the person you are today? Yeah, so I grew up um, in Los Angeles uh, County, um, basically in about, probably about 30 minutes from the actual like downtown Los Angeles. Is, so that's where, you know, where I'm from. Uh, my parents were also, both of them were you know, kind of born and raised in the same kind of central area. Um, as well. I'm blessed to have a very like close-knit family. Um, you know, my grandma had a lot of kids. She had like seven kids. And then she also took care of a lot of, of a lot of kids. So when they got older and they had children of their own, you know, I had a lot of cousins and Big stuff to play with. Yeah, and aunties. And, you know, since we're all in the same area, it's like I have, um, you know, 10 or 11 different houses I can go to, you know, to go visit people. And it was, it was definitely um, a lot of fun. So I definitely grew up in a 
very like close knit and and loving community. Actually, the, the really the biggest thing I would say in terms of things that helped mold me was just seeing my mom's um, you know work ethic. Mm-hmm. Um, even though we 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 struggled, and mainly we struggled because um, you know my 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 dad left when we were about when I was about five years old. And he was the breadwinner of the house, of mm-hmm. the household. So when he left, you know, she either had the choice of, you know, kind of downsizing and moving into a, you know, a um, a different part of town, you know, with, you know, with the higher crime rate um, or trying to get on Section 8. And then basically and what she decided was that, you know, she didn't want her children to, you know, to, to grow up that way. So she, so she placed it on herself to say, okay, I'm going to work hard to provide more for my children and I'm going to sacrifice so that you know they can have more. So I would say that's something that has really kind of shaped my work ethic um, is just the fact that um, she sacrificed so much. And then you, you can kind of see how it's paid off because um, how would I put this? Not only are we in a better place now, but also all of her children, like we've all, you know, have accomplished things. Ah, oh, man, it's, How just, many siblings it's so you have? much better, <laughs> just so much better yeah. now. Yeah, how many siblings? I have yeah. four other siblings. And are you, like, are you the oldest or youngest? Oh, no, I'm the fourth. The so fourth? I have three older sisters and one younger brother. Oh, oh my God, kind of in the middle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sorry to hear about your father leaving you guys at such a young age. Mm-hmm. And it's placed such a heavy burden on your mom, but also on on you guys too. And I think that's something that a lot of us can resonate with who, you know, come from humble beginnings and seeing our parents work hard, that really motivates us to do better and to, you know, be successful in life. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Definitely. I would say that's been, been just the, the biggest thing, um, especially because like, like my mom, when she, when we were really, really kind of going through those tough times, her first job started at like 3 a.m. And it was about a 45 minute drive. So she was out of the house by 2 a.m., you know, every day. And what then an her, incredible woman. Yeah. And then her next job was actually at the school I went to. Um, oh. And she worked there so that we could get a easier tuition. And mm-hmm. so, again, it was another crazy thing where we could have gone to a public school, you know, but instead she she actually put us into this all black like private school because she said she wanted us to learn about our history and she oh, wanted us to be great. more well-rounded so you know she, she put in all this extra time like i remember she was working in the cafeteria there she was also working as an assistant principal she was working Whoa. as a secretary yeah so she just did like everything that she, <laughs> she could as well you know right in in the school capacity you know just to you know I guess help us, you know, move along. So that's amazing. Really Even though she was working a lot, she wanted to be there for you in school mm-hmm. and be involved. Oh my goodness. And I'm sure she's that type of woman that doesn't complain, right? She just does it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That, that's something we're even now, now that she's in her 60s, it's like, <laughs> oh my goodness. mom, you need to tell us if like your shoulder is hurting or if your hip is hurting. She's like, no, it's fine. I'll just, you know, I'll just walk it off. And it's like, you, yeah. but you can't walk. That's, that, that's wrong. <laughs> she's such yeah. an inspiration. We definitely yeah. want to highlight her. That's amazing. And you also mentioned that you are an American descendant of slavery, Eidos. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering when you went to the private school, how did that kind of help you find peace through that? You know, it oh, sounds man. like you weren't able to connect with your family about the history, but mm-hmm. did you find that kind of closure, that peace at school when you oh, were learning? Definitely, definitely. I would say that's, I would say that is like the foundation of just who I am today is literally being able to go to that school. And um, even though it definitely was a bubble, you know, just in terms of, cause like everything was all black from, I would say from the janitors all the way up to the principal, you know, everyone was, you know, was all black and we, everyone had um, a very kind of like, it was just like matter of fact, like, oh yeah, this is our culture. This is what we do. Um, So it was like, I was blessed to to never even grow up with these stereotypes of like, Mm -hmm. oh, black person is supposed to do this or, you know, they're supposed to just play, you know, sports or they're just supposed to be entertainers or like, it wasn't until I got to public school when I realized that, oh, black people aren't supposed to be in honors classes like we're not supposed to be smart or mm-hmm. you know and you know, we're not supposed to turn in our homework like there were so many like weird things or weird labels that i got when i was 
when I went to public school, you know, that was just matter of fact at my, you know, at my private school. And that was such a huge help because I saw so many of my friends kind of, you know, fall through that trap where they felt like they didn't want to get, you know, bullied or picked on for being, you know, not cool or not black. So they would, you know, kind of slack off in school intentionally, you know, or not, or not turn in their homework intentionally, you know, just kind of really like subtle things like that, that, that I always thought like, oh, like, you know, this is, this is dumb, basically. Um, but that was because I had such a strong foundation and I was already like confident in who I was to when I went to the outside world, you know, somebody couldn't tell me that I was something else, you know? So I would say that's, that's probably been the biggest um, like pillar in my life, definitely. Plus it sounds like your family was very supportive. Like it's a big supportive family. So having mm -hmm. that and also that positive self-identity kind of helped. Yes. Uh, when did you start going to public school? Was that when you were in a teenager? Um, so no, no, um, actually when I was 12. So just, okay. just one year off. Yeah, so when okay. I was um, in seventh grade, um, it was when we, we made the switch. Um, yeah, and that was basically just because the, the private school itself was kind of, you know, running low, running out of funding. You know, we're, we were a small community, a small group, so we kind of started mm -hmm. to burn out a little bit. So it was, you know, it was time to, um, time to move to different places. And yeah, that was definitely a big culture shock going from, you know, the kind of all black private school to going to a, you know, a very, you know, mixed um, public school. Yeah. Can you tell us more about some of the challenges and adversities that you face, like stereotypes within like a school setting, but also a business? Well, I guess I will go with the, the school one first. Um, I would say the kind of the main stereotypes again was from the, from a peer's perspective was anytime you did something in school or if you acted like you enjoyed school, then you were always deemed as, you know, basically not being black. You know, okay. like, like you weren't, it was automatically not cool to be like, oh, you know, I'm going to go study instead of, you know, do this. Or mm -hmm. I get, I got good grades. It was always seen as like, oh, Daryl, um, I remember they always used to say like, oh, you act so white. And I was mm -hmm. like, like, what do you mean? And when I would ask them what, what they mean, they would say things like, oh, because you study for your tests or oh, because you're so studious. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what? I was like, what, what are you guys talking about? Yeah, like, like what, what is you, white? Yeah, <laughs> what I is acting like, white? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, but I know for a lot of my friends, that was like a really like serious thing for them to try to fit in that, yeah. that they, you know, you know, knew less, basically. Mm. They kind of dumbed themselves down, you know, to kind of fit in. So that would be I the mean, discrimination from I feel from like that's also that like side, them not feeling seen at school. So then they kind of want to, like, that's the way that they have that power is to not mm. engage. Yeah. yeah. And that was kind of the student side on the, I guess I would say the, the tougher part was the adult side okay. um, was when I would, um, yeah, I would say that the hardest, I guess the hardest time I had was when I went to um, kind of the private school and I, you know, asked to go to honors classes. Yeah, I think I, I shared this, um, you know, with you guys. Um, in my little bio, is that I would I went there and I went into my counselor's office to ask you know for these you know normal classes. So I took these I classes this. at my old school, yeah. And mm -hmm. I'm going to you know I was like okay I'm gonna take you know the next step, and you know basically you know she looked me dead in the face and said oh well I don't think you're you know I don't think you're you're good enough for for these mm -hmm. classes, um, and she was like I think you should take something a little. Um, you know, she said something a little more in your niche is what she said. And I was like, oh, like, 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 what do you mean? Like, you know, yeah. in my niche, like, like, what are you talking about? Can you tell me and, more about that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, oh, like, like, can you tell me about that? And then she was like, well, you know, I just don't want you to like struggle or for it to be challenging and stuff. And then, you know, I, I just oh, asked her. Safe. Yeah, I just asked her. Oh, so when you say challenging, do people who got who were in these classes do not take this next class? I was like, oh, am I missing a class or something? And the, even though I said all those things, she still didn't sign my, my paperwork. Wow. So that was the, that was the tough part. Um, was even though, you know, she kind of, you know, said those things and- She's like setting I, you I up for failure. Out. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so even though all that happened, um, she still did not sign off, my, you know, sign on my paper. So actually I remember during one of the, um, like the second semester in seventh grade, I just went to the honors class and I just, just sat down. 
you know I <laughs> good just for had, you that's smart yeah. wow that's brave yeah. to do yeah um it wasn't good for my grades because i didn't uh. have in the grades so my grades <laughs> suffered for like the first like five weeks uh. you know because they didn't have any any grades in there for me but eventually i finally got like into those classes wow um you know and i would say that's been really just a big issue like i dealt mm -hmm. with that in like middle school it was literally like the same story um in high school and then even as well when i went to college you know mm -hmm. it's kind of all the same where when i went to apply to rather it was like um i want to major in chemistry or i want to get a dual degree where you get you know a degree in chemistry and a degree a degree in chemical engineering it was always oh well we don't think you're qualified you know and then it was like oh okay so why are my qualifications you know not good and then after that that's always when the conversation ended you know so there's just this kind of you know just implicit bias yeah. where mm -hmm. people feel like oh because you you know look a certain way everyone has to you know be put in a in a um, i don't know i guess just like a just, box yeah just right? in the box yeah, yeah that's a great way to put it yeah yeah, well, thank you for sharing your perspectives, you know, around the stereotypes that you faced growing up. And we want to now talk about life after grad school and, mm -hmm. you know, entering the workforce. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us more about the importance of negotiating an onboarding salary and a raise? Because this is something that I have never mm -hmm. done. Like, mm -hmm. in my whole career, uh, <laughs> I have never negotiated. Oh, even salary. until now? No, I've I don't have the courage to because <laughs> I am afraid of them like turning me down or like rejecting me mm. and not giving me the job. And I've always been told, like, just be grateful for yeah. any opportunity. Yeah. So we wanted to hear more from you because you had mentioned that you've seen many issues with minorities and people of mm. color dealing with management and upper management who don't look like, you know, the white culture right um, exactly so what have you learned from this experience firsthand i would say my initial experience was you know I, I was just like you where i was just so happy to get a job out of yeah. out of college i was just like oh thank you thank you thank you thank you my first job they actually didn't just give me a salary they asked me what my salary should be so i remember just going on google and just typing in oh how much does an engineer make like blah 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 so then what i didn't look at was what city it was in because obviously the pays are scaled by city and so my first job was in idaho but i was looking at um pay scales in san francisco so like i told her like oh yeah i should make like a hundred thousand dollars like you know really close and simple and then she was like uh, uh what like what are you talking about <laughs> you know so um, what happened um no yeah so after that like she just hung up and i remember oh. like being so scared like oh my god like did i did i do something wrong so then I, I went back and i went over like you know what i typed in and stuff and then i realized that there is a you know a gradient right there, there's a difference between being an engineer in san francisco and being one in idaho um so then i think i probably called her maybe 15 minutes afterwards and was like oh yeah i'm sorry blah 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 and i said you know you know um 65,000 you know basically was was basically the range right in, yeah. in there um so yeah i was definitely super scared and of course that was like the the lower bar cuz i was like i don't want to mess up anything <laughs> i already told her 100,000 yeah so i already <laughs> feel like i was being, yeah so i was like just 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 keep just let me hire just i mean just hire me you know mm -hmm. um so that was probably so that was definitely my my first experience where it was kind of more, I was just like begging, like, just please just, you know, whatever, just give me a job. Um, but then it wasn't until I actually started um, mentoring people. So actually I got into the workforce and then I started to kind of reach back and talk to people um, in my school and in my, you know, in my community. Um, I was part of, of NSBE, the National Society of Black Engineers. So then when I was kind of like reaching back to them um, and then talking to other kind of like, you know, black engineers that were, you know, um, coming up after me, I realized that we all had this same, um, I'm not even sure what you, what you'd say, say, mm. but like fear, fear would be a great oh. way to say it. We all have the same fear of, I just, I'm just happy to be here. You know, yeah. I'm just, I don't want to, you know, rock the boat. I don't want to make anyone upset. I just like want to get the money. Um, and 
what I learned while I was at what I was in my first job in Idaho, um, I actually had gotten put on a on a team where we went out and we recruited kids. You know, so I would go to different schools and stuff and, you know, talk to them and, you know, recruit and, you know, look at their resumes and do like small little interview stuff. And what I realized being on the other side and the in the internal part that so much of the pressure that we place on ourselves is all in our heads, you know, and that things like asking for a raise, it's, it's actually not as big of a deal as as people, you know, make it out to be, or as people, as people seem, you know, and especially not as big a deal once you actually have your, you know, your ducks in a row, where it's, okay, I need, I'm looking at X amount of salary because I have this experience, which translates to this, and I have, you know, um, these skills, which translates to that. Um, so that's kind of what, you know, what I learned. So it was more about, oh, this is just how you frame it, you know, because obviously I have, been in meetings where people have just blatantly said, oh, I just want X amount more dollars, you know, and they're like, you know, who is this guy? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. you know, and their resume gets put, you know, to the bottom of the pile. Um, so I have been seeing that as well, but that's been more because people kind of just say what they want without any, um, any reasoning. Well, you have to back it up, right? Back it up right. with the experiences and the skills mm -hmm. that you've learned. And be specific about what you bring to that place. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, oh, exactly. Interesting. Well, Daryl, do you have any other tips around that? <laughs> well, one thing I definitely told them. Um, so yes, there was this really big fear that they had where they thought that, um, I don't know, that all of these companies were like in a little sewing circle. So where it's like, if you ask one person, you know, for a raise, or if you reject a internship, from one company that they'll tell all the other companies that you're like, you know, a bad apple and that, and so no one will hire you. Um, and that was, it was something that at first when I heard about it, I kind of like laughed it off. Like, you know, like, what do you mean? Like, you really think the HR department for like Exxon is gonna talk to the HR department of like, you know, like DuPont Chemical, like why, like, you know, like, <laughs> they don't have time yeah, for that. Yeah, I was like, I was, I was like, you know, what do you guys mean? And just for you, like, just, <laughs> And just for you. Um, so yeah. I, I kind of like laughed it off. But then as more and more people kind of like more and more of my mentees had the same worry, I said, oh, this is actually something that's, you know, serious. Um, and then when I asked um, kind of, you know, basically other people, rather as people of color um, or, or, you know, just, you know, white man, white woman, just, just everyone, mm -hmm. that is an, a um, like a standard fear where especially coming out of, of school where they feel like if um, I can give you an example of one mentee where, you know, she was, she was a rock star. Like she had a super high GPA um, and she had multiple companies, you know, asking for her, you know, services, but the company that she wanted wasn't going to start the um, like the hiring cycle for a couple of months, but these other companies, they wanted her to commit right now. Um, for an internship in the summer. And what I mean right now, it was, I think it was, it was in the fall. It was like before Thanksgiving. It was right around that time. They wanted her to commit in, in November for a position in, you know, May, June, July. Um, and she was really, really worried because she thought, mm -hmm. if I turn them down, then, you know, that's going to like, you know, scar my reputation, you know? And she was also worried that if I turn them down and what if I don't get the other thing, then I'm really going to be out of luck because then all these companies are going to say, oh, well, you know, she's, you know, she's flaky or, you know, she's this or she's that. Um, so then basically what I had to tell her was that um, one, that companies don't think like that. If you're, the company is reaching out to you, they believe it's because you're the best candidate. So if you come back to the table, they're going to be happy that you came back to the table. You know, rather that's, you know, um, you know, next year when you try to apply again, or if you say, hey, you know, something came up and then, you know, you have to, I guess, like kind of renege on the acceptance and then come back. You know, most of the time, if that slot is still open, they will, you know, they'll still slide you in. Um, mm -hmm. And I say that because I've been in those meetings where mm -hmm. people have said, I mean, where candidates said, oh, I have family issues. Or, oh, I'm waiting on, um, you know, people that were like, oh, I'm trying to get my PhD. I'm waiting for this or I'm waiting for that. And if we liked them, if they were on our shortlist, 
then we waited for them. You know, it was it was that simple. We just didn't hire anyone, and if if that was like our go-to candidate, um, and then even if and even if we didn't wait for them, and that spot was filled, when it came through the next cycle, like no one ever brought up the history of oh this person applied last year, you know, mm-hmm. and 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 you know and what happened last year. So it was just there's a lot of fear that we kind of have ingrained in us that um, I just feel is, is definitely um, is, is definitely misplaced. So that was definitely a, a big one. It seems like we tend to overthink and mm-hmm. not believe in our potential, but especially if we've gone through college and, you know, maybe have some work experience, like we should step up to the plate and just own it, right? Own right, what right. your background and like everything that you've learned. But also, I guess I wanted to mentioned, thank you for sharing these tips. And it sounds like it was an eye-opening experience to be on the other side, you know, to be part of the hiring process or the recruiting process. Oh yeah, definitely. Being part of the, yeah, kind of the recruiting, I saw part of the recruiting process and kind of those like, you know, initial meetings, like, like just the initial like resume screenings. But then after that, obviously they go to the actual kind of managers of that department. So after that, you know, it's gone, but we just do kind of the initial interviews, initial screenings, you know, rank the resumes, and then, you know, we give our top applicants to, you know, the, the managers. Um, yeah, but that was a really eye-opening experience because I saw just how, um, yeah, I, I just, I just saw how, how fluid it was, and it wasn't as uh, this big, scary march that we made it out to be, you know, like, like, again, like, people were talking about, oh, I have to change my Facebook, or I have to do my Instagram post. <sighs> think about those things and it's like we have never looked at anyone's facebook stuff we've never instagram stuff it's like it's never gotten you know to that point so it's like (laughs) man we put so much pressure on ourselves to do so much like to do so many things yeah and it's like it just it just kind of you know deters us and and you know distracts us from like the ultimate goal you know Mm -hmm. And I feel like if you want it so badly, that's why you get nervous because you don't want to lose it. But it sounds mm. like for this mentee, there were so many opportunities for her. So if one didn't work out, there would be another thing there. Um, well, no. Yeah. So that was the thing that she was worried about was oh. that what if, so the people that wanted her now, she, those weren't her top choices. Oh, so okay. then what happens if she wants to go with her top choice, but then that's her, the top but choice. she's already tied up with the other one. Right, right. So she was worried about canceling on them because she thought either A, that her spot would be taken by someone else, which is, you know, understandable, or B, that they would like remember that and hold a grudge yeah. against her and never hire her again, you know? So what um, happened at the end? Did she end up with the company that um, she wanted to be yeah, a part so, of? No, so, so what happened in the end is she went with her um, second choice, um, so which, was, which was, still, um, was still pretty good. And, you know, luckily we were able to kind of massage her way through that basically <laughs> you know where it was like okay calm down just breathe you know you don't have to like you don't have to work here if you don't want to you know mm-hmm. and you can say that and even if um you i would say don't want to work someplace you can still throw your hat in the ring or, or put your name in the hat mm-hmm. basically and say that you're going and then if another opportunity comes along you can always say i'm sorry you know yeah. something came up and you know give your exp- explanation and just you know in an email or i mean in a call if you need to and, and that's it but it's like we have this we feel like we owe it to companies to mm-hmm. to say oh if you guys accepted me i have to go and i i have to see it through all the way mm-hmm. you know so it's like we we kind of box ourselves in in terms of opportunity yeah I feel like we should just do what we want because I know it's the sad part of it, but we are all expendable. Like anybody could do our job. So we have to do what makes us happy. Mm -hmm. And Daryl, you also mentioned an issue, another issue that happens with POC communities, which is Mm -hmm. um, moving up in your workplace. So Mm -hmm. what are your suggestions on how to move up the ladder in your workplace and as POCs, we feel like we have to work harder and longer than other people to get mm-hmm. that recognition. Mm-hmm. Um, so what have you learned so far and how can you create more visibility with upper management? Yeah, so what I've learned um, so far, not only with um, me personally, but also um, in, the, in the books that I've read um, was just like, 
finding a sponsor. Um, there's a book called um, Forget a Mentor, Find a Sponsor um, by, I think it's like Sylvia Hewlett or Sylvia Hackett. Uh, either way, it's a, it's a really great read. Um, and, I, and I say that because a lot of the things that I, that I learned, she kind of laid out, you know, before, like it, it's all in this book. Um, so I would say the main thing is finding a sponsor. You know, I feel like a lot of times when we get jobs, this is just everyone, not just people, people of color, right? We latch on to our mentors, people that are just telling us, hey, this is what you do. This is how you do it. And it's a, and the, the relationship is one way. They're just pouring into you, mm -hmm. right? But a sponsor. A sponsor sees your career as like an important investment in their own career um, or in their own type of like vision. So like sponsors, they may advise you or steer you, but their chief role is to develop you as a leader and to um, give you projects that are going to um, uplift them as well as you, right? Um, so then your role as like a sponsee, right, is to kind of earn their investment in you. So it's it's more of a transactional. Um, so I you mean, both best, get something out of it. Right. So the best way I could think about it is say your boss is talking to, um, let's make it a really small company. Say your boss is talking to the CEO and your boss has this really great idea about, you know, expanding into, you know, a new sector, right? Um, and the CEO goes, oh, okay, well, you know, yeah, can you do that? So then now the boss is trying to find people to help him start a new type of, you know, business in that sector, right? Um, so then the people that that boss hires, they're, they're tied directly to the boss's success, right? Because the CEO was looking at the boss for, were you able to, you know, gain ground in this in this new sector that that, that, that you told about you know um and it's so that becomes a symbiotic relationship um right where it, it's more transactional where it's if i do a good job then that means the boss did a good job that means the boss can get promoted and i can get promoted mm -hmm. there's um a kind of definitions mm -hmm. for a a sponsor um and i would say one of the ones that really stuck with me is sponsors are people that are going to advocate for your next promotion and they're obviously they're going to be senior people who believe in your potential right and they're willing to take a a, a bet on you mm -hmm. right and they mm -hmm. and they they expect a great deal from you so those are who um sponsors are so i would say when you are going into um a workplace especially as a person of color we have a very strong tendency to kind of shell up if people don't look like us. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we have a tendency to not want to, you know, go to lunch with people. We have a tendency to not want to meet new people that are outside of our own um, kind of chain bubble. of command, right? Outside of our own little bubble. Um, so, but I would say you definitely need to branch out. You definitely need to email people. You definitely need to, you know, show an interest in your company showing interest in what your boss is doing. Look at just the entire, um, I would say business as a whole. And, and you'll find sponsors because you will find someone that is looking for the skills that you provide and that you bring to the table that will help further their mm -hmm. agenda, right? And yeah. once you can find that, that's how you find that kind of spon that sponsor sponsee type relationship. And that is how you, um, that, that's how you accelerate. Well, I think that you brought up so many valid points and I'm glad that you brought up having like a sponsor is so critical and sponsors, they're different from mentors, they're different from coaches. Yes. And yes. I wanted to give a specific example because I didn't know I had a sponsor uh, at mm -hmm. the beginning of my career mm -hmm. and it was a senior leader who mm -hmm. saw the potential in me, but he wouldn't have known if I wasn't vocal about mm -hmm. what I wanted. Right. And it was only through like a like a social networking event where I mm -hmm. told him I'm interested in project management and I'm mm -hmm. currently taking courses right now right. through a university and I'm mm -hmm. looking you know to go down this path and he mm -hmm. told me I actually have a position open wow. right now right. I wouldn't have had that opportunity if I didn't speak up 
he wouldn't have known. And I was just a customer support specialist, you know, in the call center. But yeah, I really think that was such a great advice um, for you to share about like having a sponsor or having multiple sponsors to advocate for you. And we'll definitely link that book you know, in the episode <laughs> show notes mm-hmm. to share right. with our listeners. Selling the book. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's great. It's important to take initiative because you don't get things handed to you. You have to work for it. Right, right. That, that, that's true. And, and I, I would say that is one thing I've also seen in terms of, um, like, I don't know if this is like a people of color issue or if this is just um, the generation kind of um, coming from, college into the workforce Mm -hmm. where they feel like things are supposed to be kind of handed to them just in terms of like oh if I go to work and Mm -hmm. I work hard if I go to work for 10 to 12 hours a day then I should get a promotion in six months in a year and a lot of times it you know it doesn't work like that a lot of times you're looking at I mean you're the people that are trying to promote you in terms of your sponsors they're looking at accomplishing something in terms of your experiences like what have you done that we can actually you know uh, put the sticky pad on the whiteboard and say these are your accomplishments mm-hmm. and a lot of times we um, we try to rush that um, that was my biggest issue in my first job was I was trying to obviously I was working um, like the, you know, the normal 10 to 12 hour grind I thought I was really you know um, doing great work um, which my sponsor at that time you know really said I was doing great work um, but then I remember, um, you know, in terms of asking for like a promotion and what the road, actually, I wouldn't ask for promotion. I asked for like what the roadmap was, oh, right, in terms okay. of getting a promotion. And I remember I, I left that meeting really upset because he gave me like zero feedback. He was just like, oh, keep keep doing what you're doing. And I was like, man, you know, Joe Schmo's getting a promotion and Billy Bob's getting a promotion. Like, you know, like, mm-hmm. what, what's up? Like, so I must be doing something wrong. But um, obviously what I didn't realize was that he was kind of advocating for me like behind the scenes. And it was more of the, when, when he gets this up and running, like, like he's going to be over this, he's going to be this, you know? So mm-hmm. it, it's one of those things where it's like, you got to put the, you know, groundwork in and finish those projects, yep. you know, before you can, you know, reap those benefits. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, got so to prove yourself to first. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Then they can vouch for you. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was with me, and then as well as with a few other of my mentor, mentees mm-hmm. who have been um, kind of impatient. You know, they, they get the first job, and they're like, well, all right, man, like, I, I, you know, I feel like I'm working really hard, and I'm doing all this stuff, and then it's like, well, you know, when's the next thing? Yeah. You know, like, I remember one time this, um, one of my mentees was complaining because their, um, one of their coworkers got a promotion. Um, you know, and and they didn't, you know, basically like, like from like engineer one to engineer two. And when we started talking about it, we realized that, oh, this other person has been there for three years. You've been there for five months. So they, they're now, <laughs> so now they're promoted and now you're over here, you know, salty, you're upset <laughs> because they skipped you. And it's like, well, who are you? You haven't put yeah. any work yeah. yet. You know? It's that instant so, gratification. And yeah, you know, for yeah. the younger generation growing up in tech, you know, the technology Social era, media. it's so mm-hmm. like everything happens so quickly. Yeah. And that's yeah. what they expect. <laughs> and not, I'm not saying all of them, but. <laughs> right. You right. Know, yeah. It's definitely just been, you know, been an issue. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, it's definitely, at least, at least I feel a lot of fulfillment when I'm able to like kind of talk them through that and then kind of show them like, oh, okay, um, like this is the way. Mm-hmm. Because I know when I had my discussion with my boss and after that, I had no one to kind of, you know, talk me through that. You know, it wasn't until after the fact and after I left to actually get my, my master's in data science. And it wasn't until I was hearing from, like my old colleagues, my old coworkers, you know, um, that I was like, oh, okay, now I see and now I understand, you know, what's what and what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely I want to pass the information that I've gained. I want to, you know, um, I guess pay it forward. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Daryl. And we wanted to learn more about your career path. How did you choose the, you know, data scientist path? Like, have you always kind mm. of had, a, did you lean towards 
data? Like, were you interested in like building reports? Like, how did you know like that was your passion? So that is was a, is a very very windy road. Um, so I would say it started in um, in, in high school. Um, so one thing I, my mom always made us do was every year we had to choose what we wanted to be. Like, like what do you want to be when you grow up? And then she would always try to get us exposure to that somehow during that year. So if it was like, oh, I want to be a firefighter. Oh, I love that. She would, yeah, then she would try <laughs> to find a way to like, you know, let's, let's do a tour. You know, can you like walk around the fire department, you know, whatever, ask people what they're doing. You know, if you want to be a teacher, you know, what, you know, so you could actually get uh, just kind of more experience, you know, yeah. so you can actually understand kind of what it is that you're, you know, that you're saying that you want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was probably in 10th grade, I said, oh, I want to be like a chemist because I really like, you know, chemistry. I had a really good high school teacher, uh, Mr. West. So then I was like, all right, you know what? I like chemistry. Chemistry is really good. Um, and then I remember just reading an article where it said, oh, okay, if you can be a chemist, but chemical engineers actually make 20% more than chemists for doing the same job. And I was like, more money. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then, I went, yeah. So then I went to go, so then I got into, um, so that's how I switched from chemistry to chemical engineering. And it was at my chemical engineering school where I found my passion for, um, for data science. Um, I had always been someone who has been kind of concerned about the, um, about the environment and especially it's really personal in terms of um, my health because I've, um, I have I've pretty bad like sports induced asthma. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, I can hardly sprint, you know, up and down my house once or twice before I, you know, I get like out of breath. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember like growing up, um, I was always really active, but then um, I think my symptoms started when I was about in ninth grade, 10th grade. And it was really, it, it sucked because like I was in like high school sports and at that mm-hmm. time and it really, you know, just wiped me out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've always wanted to like find a way to, you know, clean the air, right? And just, and just make breathing better. And I remember when I was in my chemical engineering school, um, in our material science class is where I was actually introduced to um, heterogeneous catalysis and where and there they were talking about converting um, kind of carbon dioxide into useful fuels. And that's when kind of the light bulb clicked for me when I was like, oh man, like I should, I should do that. Like I should be, um, I, I should do heterogeneous catalysis and, you know, convert carbon dioxide into useful fuels. And as I followed down that path, what I realized the main thing, um, I would say, I would say the biggest impediment to that, right? Why we can't do that is because we don't have the proper analysis, right? We don't have the predictive capabilities mm-hmm. of figuring out what are the best catalysts for doing that. You know, everything is still, still so energy intensive and um, so cost intensive. So that was the kind of roundabout way where I said, oh, okay, this is the huge hole um, kind of in this industry right now for this, um, it's like, it's C1 conversion or like carbon capture and utilization, right? Like the big hole is finding catalysts that will actually work. And the best way to do that is through kind of predictive analytics. Mm -hmm. So that's when I decided to become a, you know, a data scientist and to arm myself with all of the kind of predictive analytics tools so that I could then go out and, you know, help the scientists to actually create these catalysts to, to clean the air. So it, it's, it, that's it's, wonderful. Lot. it's a lot, it's but that's, that's how I got there. They're all, you are one of the most intelligent people ever. <laughs> and kudos to you for being in this field and making the, the world a better place, you know, well, 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 thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what advice or lessons would you like to share with a younger generation? Like some final words of advice. I would definitely say in terms of um, advice for the younger generation is to um, be confident in yourself um, and to find a uh, support group. Um, Don't be afraid to like reach out and to talk to people. Uh, Most of the time people don't bite. And and especially um, for, you know, for people of color, you know, I, I know there's a huge barrier that we have in terms of you know, talking to white bosses or like white people in power, we feel like, oh no, that's them. They will do their thing and we'll kind of stay over here and do our thing. Um, but it's just 
you'll realize really quickly of just, you know, one or two conversations that, oh, they're just, you know, they're, they're humans too. Like we're all people and we all have things that we um, connect over and vibe with. And you'll never know that one connection that will, you know, change your life. So I would definitely say to the younger generation, definitely like speak out. And if, you know, there's um, like someone you, you really want to talk to, or if you have like dreams or goals, you know, find someone that you can talk to. And if they, you know, they, if they, they don't respond or they kind of give you the cold shoulder, that's fine because there's always another person, you know, yeah, like, sure. like no business or group works in isolation. So if there's one manager that's like, oh, get out of here, Daryl, I don't want to talk to you. There's, there's going to be, there's, there's another manager that works, you know, in the, the next office over, you know, and maybe they'll be, you know, excited to have a conversation with you. So it's definitely about um, just having the strength to, to, to speak out and to actually, you know, take up space in the world. That, that's definitely all I'm saying. Thank you, Daryl. And I'm so happy that you're mentoring younger engineers too. So you're paying it forward. We're wondering, what does your identities mean to you? So mm -hmm. what does being African-American, Black, American descendant of slavery mean mm -hmm. to you? Because I learned at such a young age about um, the kind of the atrocities of slavery and then going from kind of the diaspora, which was, you know, just the African slave trade to being to slaves being in America and then from you know everything from like the Civil War all the way up through you know like Jim Crow mm -hmm. learning that at a very young age gave me a very strong identity of, a, of who I was and where I fit in the world mm -hmm. and I was able to at a very young age understand kind of like the looks that I would get or understand why people would automatically feel like I was less than like those were probably the strongest lessons I, I ever got because when I talk to a lot of you know other um, you know, other black people rather they're like friends family just you know strangers it's always that same kind of feeling of of um, they feel kind of you know trapped and boxed mm -hmm. in and they feel like they can only do certain things because of how kind of um, Americans basically will um, kind of label them, right, and, and treat them. And for me, knowing that history behind that and why they do that gave me so much more, like, just power and confidence to, yeah. um, to be myself. So that, so I would say um, definitely my identity definitely gives me a lot of, of, of resilience in that regard, um, especially just in terms of, again, going from a populace of uh, basically of slaves to everything that, you know, black people and black culture have created in America, you know, rather that's in entertainment or rather that's uh, inventions in general. Mm -hmm. um, like my favorite food is peanut butter. And like, I remember when I was really young when I found out that George Washington Carver, who was a black person invented peanut butter. I was like, oh my God, that's so amazing. <laughs> I was like, yes. <laughs> Yeah, you know, um, and just like, like, I remember, like, I remember learning about these things and being filled with so much pride, mm. like, um, like, you know, just things like um, streetlights were invented by, you know, a black person. Oh, I didn't know um, that. Mm -hmm. uh, I think like the first security system, right, was invented by, you know, a black person. And just little, like, little things like that, I remember mm -hmm. kind of learning as I grew up. And that gave me so much more confidence in myself because I was like if they can do that way back when when it was so much tougher to be black then I have no excuses now you know it's like I, I you know it's like oh so I'm worried because someone might not give me a raise when they were worried about you know being killed in the streets and they mm -hmm. still were able to produce life-changing life-altering things so it gives me so much um really just like strength you know yeah and so perspective too yeah exactly exactly and think of how much you can accomplish and we yeah. we look forward to seeing where your leadership journey takes you <laughs> and know that we're here to cheer you on well well thank you guys um i appreciate it and you mentioned also that you're planning to do some genetic research to understand where your oh, yes, family yes. came from oh, your ancestors yes. came from mm -hmm. yeah so yeah so i haven't done that yet um, but yeah, well, that's definitely something that I, I definitely wanted to look into and just see exactly, you know, like where I am from, because 
I do believe that is um, a really, I guess, a really good place to be grounded in as well, you know, mm -hmm. um, just in terms of knowing your culture and knowing where you come from and knowing your customs and everything like that. So I definitely think that would be a, you know, just a really good thing to, to know and understand. Daryl, thank you so thank you, much. Daryl. This was such an insightful <laughs> talk and it was educational too. Like, thank you for being a powerful and positive role model. And <laughs> you continue to inspire me and also I'm sure other people in your life as well. Well, I mean, thank you so much for that. Um, yeah, I, I definitely appreciate it. Um, again, I'm, I'm really proud of, of you guys for doing this podcast. Aww, thanks, I, think that's, thanks. I think what you guys are doing is like, you know, really awesome and, um, you know, keep going. I'm definitely a fan. And Daryl, I'm a teacher, so just hearing your story makes me feel so happy, you know, because our paths can be one way or the other, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm so glad that throughout your life you felt that strong sense of confidence, and mm -hmm. that's something that I want all of our youth to feel. But I'm so inspired listening to your story, and keep on inspiring the younger generations, too, because that will keep up the, like, the journey of us POCs trying to succeed and fill the world with our awesomeness. Yeah, awesomeness. Yes, definitely, definitely. <laughs> and like definitely. you said, take up space. Right, you know, exactly. Space. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, we'll, I, I will do. And you guys definitely, you know, keep doing what you guys are doing. Um, you know, podcasts like this are, are definitely needed. So I, I definitely appreciate it. Thank you, Daryl. Listeners, thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to give us a review and rating. We are also very active on Instagram at Two Comerican Sisters. And check out our website at twocomericansisters.com. Daryl also has a features post on there if you want to check it out <laughs> and learn more about him. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. Oh, yes, thank you bye. so much. All right. Bye. <laughs>